we're going to get into the speech by Joseph Hugh Meyer, who is a director at the Secure Free Society. Like I said, this is this just happened in D.C. at the International Spy Museum nine days ago about Title 42 border crisis. And he breaks down how it's weaponized migration and why it's weaponized. It's a big eye opener. But before we get into that, I saw this. This came out just now from Mayor Adams in New York City about how he's getting some pushback of how they're kicking out veterans of ho- there's veterans that are being housed in hotels well they're being kicked out for illegal migrants and uh he had this to say 25 seconds law of sanctuary city was law law of sanctuary city was law came in i'm following the law as a law enforcement no we follow the law So the people that are Asking that are became sanctuary cities are now upset that they're sanctuary today. cities. You cannot make this up. Asking this is just a crazy world we live in. It's unbelievable. Sanctuary city, we're gonna anybody can come now. Not too many people. But anyways, they're kicking out veterans who fought for the country for people who illegally crossed the border. Totally normal. Nothing to see. Do not do not ask questions. You already know the rules. Okay, so let's get into the speech. Joseph Humeyer about weaponized migration. Let's get into that. The, the, the precise academics and reasoning behind all of this and, and to prove why this is strategic, why this is meant to hurt the country, in this particular case, the United States. But this is happening all over the world. This is not just happening in the United States of America. But in the context of what we're talking about today, it's going to be the southern border. And take a listen. So first part is how this is three crises in one. The three crises in one. You have a capacity crisis, a political crisis, and you have a national security crisis. I'll pack that, and then I'm going to share some stories about, as you could tell in the video, some of the experiences I've had visiting several borders in the Western Hemisphere and the world. Let's start with the capacity crisis, because I have a lot of libertarian friends, classical liberal friends. I come from a classical tradition, just like Alex Shafuen, and, and the founding of SFS comes from this tradition. And a lot of my libertarians remind me, say, Joseph, are you now against immigration? And I think it's pretty obvious I'm against immigration. What if I was against immigration? But that said, I said I'm for ordered migration. It is undoubtedly true that my a society, they help bring ideas, and ideas lead to innovation, and innovation leads to wealth creation. Economics 101 will teach you that, but not all at the same time. The capacity crisis is a crisis our border infrastructure, both in terms of personnel and resources, is collapsing before our very eyes. On any given day, from the San Ysidro port in California to the Eagle Pass port of entry in Texas to the Rio Grande, on average, there is about the capacity to withstand 1,500 to 1,600 encounter CPB, Customs and Border Patrol, measures encounters, not individuals, because it could be the same individual that unrepeated attempt. Nonetheless, it's same capacity. So 15 to 1,600 per day. The numbers received fiscal year 22, 2022, were 2.7 million 
per day. If you do the math, that's over 7,000 encounters on average per day. That is four so times. That's already a concern. Okay. That's already a major, major concern. So not only are we way beyond capacity, the, just the infrastructure and resources of the border cannot handle the influx of people. And these are people who are coming in illegally. Remember that the same, this is one of the same ports where fentanyl is coming in, which is the leading cause of death for people like 15 to 49. It's just a lot's going on. A lot has changed and it's increasing and it's gotten really bad at 2021 and 2022 and 2023 supposed to be worse than that. So it's like progressively getting worse, almost like it's by design. Perhaps it is by design. So what is he most concerned about? And this has to do with what I just said with fentanyl. And this is probably the biggest. And if you know history and you know about the opium wars and how uh, resources and China was really uh, almost conquered in the 19th century was that they, inf they, they got brought a whole bunch of opium in, uh, in the country and got a bunch of people addicted and just the whole, they call that the century of humiliation in China. Okay. And now the same tactics are being used on us, almost like it is the same game plan, but instead of to China, it's from China. I don't know. Perhaps just remember that that's their century of humiliation. We, the uh, Europeans brought in opium to kind of destabilize and take over that country. And the Japanese were involved as well. Okay. So biggest concern. Here we go. What I'm most concerned is the convergence of networks between bankers and facilitators and brokers from China cartels from Mexico and middlemen there's throughout the process that a boatload of money for this illicit business. But fentanyl is just one part of the equation. The other part of the equation is smuggling. U.S. Southern Command in 20 reported that in one year they were able to, along with our partners in Latin America, to detain and arrest 66 human smuggling facilitators. What is that? What's a human, human smuggling facilitator as an individual that facilitates the movement of migrants from all over the world to the nations, in this case, to the U.S. southern border. On average, a human smuggling facilitator can profit upwards to $150 million per year. One facilitator. That's, that's, that's a mega business. They arrested 66 in 2020, which is the year of the pandemic, you do the math, that's more than $9. And that's just in what they caught. And there's other human smuggling facilities in other parts of the world. So it's not just drugs. It's also human smuggling. And it's how illicit networks are starting to come together and over peace. I mean, they're not a GDP that can match the amount of rate of growth of illicit enterprise. And what happens when you have illicit enterprise grow, the former enterprise gets weakened. And at some pace, the incentives change. What would be an individual that would be a productive member of society? Okay. So what do we learn here? Is that if you know history, which by the way, I implore you to read One Nation Under Blackmail. Volume one is on audiobook. But that this large networks that are convening, these bankers, which are behind every war, are also behind the very same operations of drug smuggling and human smuggling. These are the same elites that have 
been trying to monopolize natural resources, destroy borders, and get everybody under one massive enterprise of totalitarian control. This has been happening for a long time. It's well-documented through global institutions, United Nations, all that stuff. So it is purely weaponized. And the question is, why? What is the purpose here? And so um, when you dig a little further, because all things that are this complex have multiple layers intentionally, so you never get to the truth, right? The truth is always supposed to be hidden, not because you can't handle it, but because if you knew the truth, you would rebel. You'd be outraged. You start speaking out. You would start doing things like the Jonathan Kogan show and waking up the masses and bringing the peasants together and bringing in a, a better world for us, for we, for you and I, for the people that literally deserve it, not the elites who've been running shit for like centuries, okay? It's over. The reign is done. They cannot, when you cannot handle information, you cannot control the masses. When information breaks loose and there's no longer a stranglehold on what information you can get, which has now been officially obliterated and why you're seeing them try to control the narrative, censorship, you're seeing all this stuff over the past few years intentionally because they're losing their grip because if you can't control information, you can't control the people and you can't control the truth or what they want you to believe is true. And everything flips on his head. So as he dug deeper, here's what he found. Every investigation has another layer deep. We found that the, the, the Pueblo Sin Fronteras migrant caravans in San Pedro Sula, Honduras, through two cases of cash from the Nicolas Maduro regime in Venezuela. Now, maybe for this audience, that might be all. For me, that caught me a bit by surprise because I wanted to ask the question of what does Venezuela care Central American migrants? Why do they care about the U.S. southern border? And this is in 20. But there wasn't Venezuelans arriving at the U.S. southern border at that time. And what I came to realize was it's not the purpose of the mass migration from the Central American caravans was not a bunch of Central Americans into the United States. It was into the border to be able to tax the capacity at the border. I have a narrative that create uh, incentives and different kinds of political change. And it was create a sort of sense of chaos that would weaken your control of your sovereignty. Let me. So, so I would say that they are currently being quite successful. So this process successful. Okay. And really to follow what's going on, it's a three-step process they want. Okay. It's a three-step process. What is that three-step process? Here's a three-step process. process of going from humanitarian crisis through mass migration that then turns into a conflict among others, drug cartels, human smugglers, all fighting for control of the illicit trade, that booming business, to then the external actors then controlling elements of, along that border. That probably very clear to me of how it was devolving into something that can later so he's saying the most dangerous border as bad as the Mexican United States border is he's saying the Venezuela Colombia border is the worst, at least in the Western Hemisphere. Regime. Our border is following that same process. We have to be very happening on our USM border, happening by mistake. It's not happening because it's just 
all of a sudden migrants are coordinating in a very inorganic manner. There's a term for this, and it's not my term. I didn't come up with this. There was actually a professor from Tufts University, Dr. Kelly Greenhill, who wrote a, her thesis, then a book about this process, coerced engineered migration. I call this strategic engineered mass, which I think we need to separate from organic migration, which has been happening for a long time. Strategic migration, when migration is catalyzed and or induced and manipulated by state or non-state actors who are trying to use coercion and subversion with political and geopolitical objectives against a targeted state or government. That's how Dr. Kelly Greenhill would. That's a concept that we need to adapt to be able to understand the problems that are happening at the Western Hemisphere. It's happening on the U.S. southern border. It's happening on the Venezuela border. It's happening on the Darien Gap. It's happening on the Bolivian border. It's happening on the side of the Venezuelan border with Guyana. It's, it's happening even in maritime borders. Why would borders become so important? Well, what I argue is that and we have this conversation here in Washington a lot about democracies versus authoritarians. We're going to have that conversation tonight. I think the next is. Sometimes equate that to that we faced during the 20th century of social capitalism. But it's very different because in the 20th century, there were countries in governments that come in this flag and say, follow us. This is the way. This system of governance, this economic system is the way to go. But there's a world that raises the authoritarian flag. There's no one that says we're a proud authoritarian, follow our way of governing. The authoritarian nation states in the world, what do they call themselves? Democracies. But the thing about democracy has to go deeper than just talking about what's on the surface of democracy. If you study democracy, and there's plenty of democracy scholars in this room, so I feel very much uh, like I would learn from you about democracy. But the, 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 the evolution of democracy, it's leaped forward after the birth of the sovereign nation state. After the 30-year war in 48 and the Peace of Westphalia. Had it not been for that concept of the sovereignty, of nation state sovereignty, perhaps democracies wouldn't have So the conversation about democracy is just a conversation about elections. Those are important things. Conversation about sovereignty over your nation state. and that Interesting stuff academic like i said speaking about democracy and um authoritarian i have a hypothetical as a apolitical correspondent you know if hypothetical in i don't know a couple a few months time that in the u.s we were having an election for if we want to have democracy or authoritarianism and trump comes out and says democracy is the best we have to vote for democracy democracy is the greatest thing ever would all the people who have lost their minds and have Trump derangement syndrome and are just on the opposite side and do whatever is the opposite of Trump, would they all say, we need to vote for authoritarianism. Authoritarianism is the best. Democracy is corrupt. Is that what would happen? That's just a hypothetical. I'm just curious because people tend to do everything opposite of Trump and everybody who's apolitical is like, wow, this is crazy. Like, you know, an exact inversion of everything seems quite unlikely. That's really wild. Is that what would happen? I'd be worried if like, if Trump came out and said, we want free and fair elections, would everybody else say, we need authoritarianism and we need a fascist regime? Like, what would happen? You know what I mean? Very interesting stuff. This is the kind of shenanigans that goes on in my head at all times, okay? 
So with allergies, with everything going on in this chaotic world, we could still have fun. We could still think. We could still use our God-given critical thinking skills, okay? Even though people have told you your whole life, you should not do your own research. You should not think. You should not read. You should just listen to authority and obey. Be an obedient worker. Just, just obedient enough to just get the work done for lower wages and more time worked. Just do as you're told. Just do as you're told. Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. It's for democracy. We can still beat the system if we come together. We need to unite, not divide. United we stand, divided we fall. Okay, there's a reason why these phrases have stood the test of time. Perhaps because there's some legitimacy to it. Okay, there's some value in them. So for today, here's the goal. The goal is to be grateful just for today. Not tomorrow, not forever, just today. Like I said, if you're not having a good day, get your shit together. Today is about being grateful. That's it. One thing you're grateful for in the moment today could be something tiny. Okay. Like you just, I don't know, sent an email and, and, and you were supposed to do that. That's great. You're grateful that you did that. Or maybe you went for a walk and you can walk on your two legs. Maybe you have three legs. I don't know. We're pretty close to having cyborgs and stuff with AI. So perhaps you're one of them. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Perhaps you're free or at least you feel free, but really you're not free. Maybe you're grateful for that. It doesn't matter. Just pick one thing. Be grateful. See if it helps your mood. And that's it. That's the goal for today. We need baby steps. We need to slowly progress towards a better world. Not the better world that Klaus wants, the better world that the peasants want. Okay? So we need to take the system bull by the horns. Is that what they say? Take the bull by the horns, like the cat's out of the bag, all these stupid fucking phrases. Yeah. Well, that's what we need to do. All right? And we need to love one another. Okay? Not hate one another. Love one another. So be careful of the social media you consume because a lot of it is BS. A lot of it is trying to manipulate you. And I'll play some stuff probably this week about a speech that Yuval Noah Harari gave um, about AI and how it's going to distort reality completely probably in the next year with what's going to go on with uh, you know fake uh, social media, fake narratives, fake you know generated images. It's starting to happen now, but you're gonna, we're really close. We're probably months away at, at most a couple of years a way of having information totally uh, created by an inorganic source of life, like an AI intelligence. And you're not going to know what's real and not real. It's insane. We're almost there, but too much for one day. Today, it's about gratitude and love. Love every day, but today's about gratitude. Please subscribe to the Jonathan Kogan Show wherever you get your podcast. Please subscribe. If you give it a five-star review and you write something, I'll read it tomorrow. If you don't like it, Move along, move along. I love you. Have an amazing day, amazing afternoon, amazing evening. Take care. Bye.